You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Welcome to the Regent College Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Perini, and today we're talking about education. I'm joined by Dr. Jeff Greenman, who's the president of Regent and a professor of theology and ethics. And I'm also joined by Raphael Heuser, who is nearing the end of his fourth year, fourth year of studies at Regent, uh, graduating shortly with an MA in Marketplace Theology. And Jeff and Raphael have been thinking together a lot about teaching and learning and education, so they're good conversation partners for us. So welcome to the podcast. Let's start with just a, a general question. What's the purpose of education? That's the big question, Claire. It's a great question. Good place to start. Well, I teach a course at Region on uh, called Learning and the Art of Teaching, and uh, what I argue is that education is about learning, and that seems kind of obvious uh, at a certain level, but not obvious at all at another level. And the reason I want to make the case is that it seems like a lot of education at all levels now, and not just in North America places so much of an emphasis in a very pragmatic direction about education that it's really a means of getting a job, it's a way of getting ahead, it's a competitive enterprise. And so it's a means to an end somewhere. And what we tend to lose is the idea that learning is the heart of education and learning is a process of transformation and growth that hopefully prepares people to live a particular way of life and not just have a job, not just get into the best kind of university. And so there's more, there's more to thinking about what education is and then what learning is, I think, than a lot of people just at, you know, off the top of their head might think. Mm-hmm. But if you really stop and think about it, you're into some really important considerations at a fundamental level. And I just think that it's got to all be about learning. And that's the exciting thing is that we as human beings somehow in God's grace have been made that we're capable of learning. And the brain is an amazing thing to absorb lifelong learning. And let's think about the great adventure of learning. Mm -hmm. Rahul, do you have any thoughts about? Yeah, I've been been thinking a lot about uh, education and probably the the most common purpose uh, out there is uh, preparation for the marketplace. And... uh, as Jeff was saying, that's many times reduced like to technical skills. And uh, it is an important part of education. We, and sometimes it's even neglected by us Christians. We think of work as not as important as uh, perhaps uh, church-related activities or things like that. Mm-hmm. So it is important to be engaged in the, in the, in the world of work and be prepared for that. Um, and perhaps the question that we should ask here is why are we working and how are we working and what is the purpose of work? Is it just so we can have uh, money or or a successful uh, uh, career or or is there more? Mm. And um, and on on that, uh, I think think the Bible gives us a a vision of developing culture in in, uh, God-honoring ways and earth-keeping ways. And, and work as part of that. Mm-hmm. And so education in that sense, it, it has to be more than just about work, but about this uh, big vision uh, mm. of life mm. uh, that, we, that we have. And part of that is, I think, a very Christian vision that we're trying to, to talk about. And what Raphael was exploring in his thesis was, in a sense, how the biblical story informs what we do in education. But just a little piece of that biblical story has got to be human beings, our whole persons, heart, mind, soul, and strength is meant to be offered to God and love to God. And so education in a Christian lens, I think, has to have something to do with 
the transformation of the whole person, mm-hmm. and offering our lives in worship to God in everyday life, as the picture from the beginning of Romans 12 would suggest, it's, it's about the whole person. So it's not just the skills as a more technical and limited sort of view of training would be, uh, nor is it simply for the head, uh, as important as our thinking is, and I don't want to be uh, at all devaluing the importance of our minds, hardly, and hardly at a place like Regent, but I do want to argue for the, the significance of whole person formation and character being critical to a Christian vision of education. And it's not simply Christian because, you know, it, it is the world around us. It is what the so-called secular universities are now also talking about. Perhaps with the language of values, but they're talking about character. Mm-hmm. They're talking about being a certain kind of person in the world. And so I think the recognition in the wider culture should be a welcome one for us Mm -hmm. that, lo and behold, the whole person matters. Mm -hmm. And so that comes deeply out of biblical roots and ultimately in Western culture that comes from our Christian commitment and heritage in the background, Mm -hmm. even if sometimes that fades a bit. But the whole person is really the subject of education. How, how do you think we got here? So if we're saying that that's kind of how education started, as a bit of more of a whole person character formation, and now we've got to this point where it's uh, it's actually just training for a job, it's a set of skills, it's this kind of narrow... How, how did we get to this point there and that it almost feels like it's a bit of a recovery is what you're advocating for of a historical understanding of what education was to begin with? How did, how did that happen? What do you... I don't know, Thoughts? Uh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think there are many things that maybe led us this way. Um, I think right now maybe the the driving force of society, at least, uh, it, it is it is the economic world, and and we we came to this. Uh, everything is judged by by money, right? Money has this power that allows us to compare apples and oranges, so to speak, and so we we, we think of that. So we think of success. Success is how much money you make. Is not, but are you a good parent? Are you a good spouse? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think, and also this this whole, um, um, I guess we could say uh, secularization, and mm-hmm. uh, that takes perhaps um, the transcendent off the picture, and and leaves us leaves us more to look on ourselves, and I think. Uh, there is this revival of thinking of character formation, um, but the, the question is, what is good character in that sense, and where do we get our definition of good character? Yeah, um, yeah. does yeah. That, that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it does, and it's, it's a long story from the Enlightenment onward, probably, <laughs> but we can't rehearse it all at the moment, but I do think that there's a, a kind of baseline pragmatism, and it's a money-driven economy, mm-hmm. and in the even the last two decades and even since the 208 uh, financial crash. Mm-hmm. It's a very competitive world and everyone wants to get ahead and get where they want to go. And, uh, you know, a very competitive educational system emerges around that in many ways that takes a great toll on those that uh, are a part of it in many ways, students. Uh, and it doesn't focus particularly on the whole person. And there's there's real cost, social cost to to all of that. So, but it is it is part of a, a wider decline. And I think there's a kind of Christian calling to pose some kind of an alternative in the midst of that kind of, uh, in a sense, 
narrowing and limiting of what education is. Mm -hmm. Education at its best has always been something bigger and deeper. Um, just one thing I might mention is there's a book that we use in my course on learning the art of teaching by Howard Gardner. Howard Gardner is famous in education circles as the pioneer of multiple intelligences. And it's just been a, a kind of, um, I don't know what you'd even say about it. It's just uh, an incredibly influential and important uh, contribution around multiple intelligences. And that's another whole topic. But th this book that he's that he's written about a decade ago, I use in the class and, and talk about is, is because uh, he's not coming from a Christian background, but it resonates so much um, with, I think, a Christian vision in so many ways. The book is called Five Minds for the future and it's a kind of it's his vision of education and what he means is that education these days for our culture and our world needs five different kinds of minds and what he means is a disciplined mind by which he's referring to knowing content having substance having some expertise in something a synthesizing mind which is gathering information and putting it together and sifting and sorting um, which is kind of a critical thinking ability, mm -hmm. but it's also the ability to pull things together. Mm -hmm. He talks thirdly about a creative mind, thinking outside the box, coming up with new solutions. The economy these days is an mm -hmm. entrepreneurial economy and so mm -hmm. on. Um, then the last two are really very interesting to me because I also teach ethics. <laughs> but he, one he calls the respectful mind, mm -hmm. which is about living well in a world of diversity and difference which is very much our world in Canada and every place else, really. It's a world of diversity and difference. So alongside a disciplined mind, a synthesizing mind, a creative mind, he puts fourthly, very interestingly, a respectful mind. And the last one he calls an ethical mind. And what he tries to unearth in that uh, description is people who can think and live beyond self-interest. Mm -hmm. For him, the big moral problem really is people are acting so much in their own mm -hmm. self-interest. So how do you transcend that and do the right thing even when it wasn't in, in your narrow interest? Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about all that together, that's a very holistic picture. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an amazing picture, really, and I, and I really love it. He's not drawing from a Christian background, but it resonates. So mm -hmm. the mind matters, discipline matters, a synthesizing mind that can pull mm -hmm. things together and make sense of the world. Creativity matters respect for other people and how you treat them, an ethical mind that has a sort of self-discipline in the way you live your life, that's a very holistic picture of education. He says that's what our world needs. And I think that does resonate with a lot of people. This is the kind of thing that we need. The question is, what, what underlies that? Where does that come from? What funds that, so to speak? Not financially funds it, but, but intellectually funds it. And I think it's very congruent with a, a kind of Christian vision of education and its purpose. Yeah, and so I think that's that's a good place for us to keep going. So, what would a th what would a theological understanding of education? You've sort of touched on it. It's it's whole person, um, but you're saying this is this is actually tapping into something that's deeper. What would a theological vision of education be? Um, what would it look like? Raphael's going to answer that first. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think uh, our, our theology deter determines uh, so much of what we do, or, or maybe uh, maybe all of what we do, even if we don't believe in God, is, is kind of a theology, mm. right? Is is our is our vision of our fundamental reality, and um, we start to think about uh, 
what God wants, uh, wants for us. I, I go back to the local story and just looking at creation and God placed human beings as uh, vice regents over creation and told them, hey, take care of this wonderful place that I, I made for you and, and develop it and you know, make, it, make it grow. And that's, uh, that's, that's what we should be doing, making culture in that sense. And um, a, a word that's commonly used in that context is, is the, the idea of, of shalom, which is not present in the biblical uh, creation narrative, mm. but the concept grows out of that idea of, of this created order where everything uh, connects together well, everything is working properly, everything has its proper place, mm. and, and uh, we, we should keep on, uh, on doing that. So that would be, a, I think, a key ingredient of, of an education is to help people, and this touches a lot on, what, what, on these five minds that Jeff uh, mentioned because for to, in order to make culture well, we need to you know mm-hmm. we need to be respectful, we need to be creative, uh, we need to be disciplined. We need we need all these things, uh, and I think we have uh, the biblical basis for doing that mm-hmm. in, in God's character and the way He created us. Mm-hmm. So that would be the I think the the basis uh, for me mm-hmm. for for that shalom making. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, no, I, I love that vision. And, you know, in a sense, God's big purpose in the creation and redemption of the world is right relationship with himself mm-hmm. and with one another. It's about restoration to that right relationship. So there's something at, at the core of the Christian tradition that informs what this education is. It's relational. It's got to be about that. And so the the great commandment of loving God and loving neighbor mm-hmm is at the heart of all of this, and that's heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's that's all of us. Right relatedness. And so, in a sense, the Christian tradition of education has, you know, goes way back into biblical, biblical roots of Old and New Testaments, where, therefore, the relational element has been to the forefront. The home is the main place where education happens mm-hmm. in biblical terms. And, therefore, what the Israelites were to do was to pass along from one generation uh, to sort of speak the truth of God to one another as you walk along the highways and byways and pass it from one generation to the next as a, as a treasure is passed. And I think sometimes we don't take that as seriously as we might, that the home is the center of education, but relationship is, is the main ingredient of that education. It's personal, it's relational, it's contextual. This is what the early church emphasizes. The early centuries, if you read the church fathers, when they're talking about educational education, what they're going to talk about is a very formational vision that happens in relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be in the context of worship. It's going to be an extension and an expression of discipleship. This is how they think about education, right? And so it's not pragmatic. It's not reductionist at all. It's not for the sake of getting a job. It's the church's calling to be disciples is to be learners, and that's a lifelong task, and we're going to do that in a community. We're going to do it in a relational context, and we're going to be accompanied. And so mentoring, therefore, becomes a really key ingredient of what that vision is to the early church, as it is still to us at Regent College, as it is in many congregations. The discovery of the la- in the last 20 or so years of the real valuing of mentoring as a way of learning as a way of learning and growing, having a mentor and being mentored. I think that's very encouraging to me because it it is back to our relational roots. 
and to a very contextualized and personalized approach to forming people as followers of Christ and to be in the world on behalf of the gospel. Mm. Mm. So it's been helpful because you, so you're saying the home is a, is a place of education. So but we're in an institution, yeah. and I think education has been bound up with the institutions, perhaps in, this, in the world in which we live. How do we understand perhaps the opportunities and the challenges of institutional mm. education and then what are the opportunities and challenges for education that happens outside the institution? So talking about mentoring or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, opportunities and challenges of the institution, perhaps. Well, my goodness, there's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot there, Claire. Um, I'm the president of Regent College, so I believe in institutions. Um, institutions are great. I think part of, though, I mean, the realism of, of a place like Regent College or formal theological education is to realize that we're not, in a sense, everything that the church or the world needs. We're a specialized discipleship ministry. Uh, and we have a wonderful calling in God's service to equip the saints uh, for the work of service, as the cornerstone of our building says. But it's a much bigger project that we're really talking about here in forming Christians to live their lives for God in the world than what Regent College can do. So institutions are important and um, huge potential in education formally and institutionally done well. But what I want to emphasize is we're always in partnership with the church. We're always just servants of God's people. I was just talking downstairs today to one of our alumni, and I was saying, you know, we really are dependent at Regent upon churches forming people with a hunger for God and a hunger for more knowledge of the scriptures and a hunger for a more integrated faith that they then send to us. We're servant of the church. And so we're very much in partnership rather than in some sort of competition. Mm -hmm. And so institutionalized education, formal education, giving of degrees, we're good at certain things, we're very good at certain things, and we're not so good at other things. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that that anyone who's a champion of institutions the way I am, and of this institution in particular, needs to say that we're all things to all people, or that we're covering all the waterfront. We are very much in partnership, we're dependent, but we do certain things quite well. And we have something to offer that I think is of value. But that sort of institutional realism, if I could call it that, I think would help us kind of down the track in thinking about that. But Raphael's been a student here, so he's had institutional education. <laughs> Sounds like you're uh, locked up in a cell or something, institutionalized. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, if, if we are here, uh, you know, reading, writing, and, and uh, doing stuff, we probably have an institution to thank for. Um, we, yeah. we could probably not learn all that we, we can just um, learning um, randomly or uh, accidentally, so to speak. Uh, there's great benefits in, in, in the systematic approach that uh, institutions can bring. Obviously, those can be bad and, and oppressive and neglect other elements or, or things like that. And I think this is probably um, a reflection of... of who we are as human beings, that we are also, we have our, our good side as being created in the image of God, but we are also sinful, so we have all our flaws and defects, and institutions are reflective of that. They are, have also uh, these these both sides. Uh, so we, I think the question is how we use, how we use institutions and how we can develop uh, institutions that serve better the purposes instead of perhaps serving themselves. Um, 
which again is, is the same problem that people have, right? People run into trouble when they start serving themselves instead of, instead of serving mm-hmm. um, uh, their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably, uh, we talked a bit about before uh, about character formation and we're asking now about challenges. And I think this is the challenge both for institutions and for homes um, in part because I, I think by and large our culture doesn't really believe in character formation. Um, we, you know, we we have been taught that to follow your heart, whatever your heart is telling you, and character formation kind of means well, I have to look into my heart and maybe see something that is not all that good and that might need might need to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is perhaps the challenge, the greatest challenge we have in the home as parents and in institutions as as teachers is how do we. Mm-hmm maybe convince people or, or, or talk to people. It's like you need, you need to think bigger than just looking into yourself and to look beyond that. Mm. You're both teachers. Yeah. yeah. Different kinds. Yeah. yeah. Um, clearly this vision of education excites you in some ways, um, in, in deep ways. How have you practically, how have you, how have you sought to integrate this kind of a vision um, and Jeff, you said at the beginning, teaching and education is not about mm. teaching; it's actually about learning. Mm. So, how have you, as a teacher, sought to cultivate these kind of environments of learning and education that you're talking about? How does that go? Where does it work, and where does it doesn't? Where doesn't it work? Well, I try, and Raphael actually had my class on on learning and the art of teaching, so he knows how I try to do it as well. You can tell, ask him whether it really works. But for me, part of it is uh, I am very excited about that sort of vision. But a learning centered vision, I think, really tries to spark people's curiosity. It 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 tries to tap into what questions people are bringing with them into the learning that that we're doing, the subject that we're studying, whatever that is. It takes the learner very seriously. Who are you as a learner? What are your questions? What are your concerns? What do you want to do at the end of this course? How could this actually serve you? So I tilt more in the direction of being learner-centered rather than subject-centered, if I could put it that way. So content matters, and there's a lot of content in my classes. I, I haven't been accused of going light on it. Um, but, uh, but it's more than just getting through the content that matters to me. It's really that the students would engage, that the students would be present, that the students would really be uh, stuck in and chewing on good things together, learning with one another, learning from one another, and asking questions like, okay, if all this is so, what do I do with this? How do I apply this? Where do I use this? That sort of wrestling with stuff makes it so exciting for me, rather than just sort of getting through the notes, just mm-hmm. getting through the content, mm-hmm. having everybody feel like it was good because we got through 12 weeks and we made it to the end on mm-hmm. time. I just think it's it's really about engagement. It's about interaction. It's about wrestling. It's about asking, so what and how do we do this? That sort of vision I, I've tried to build into my classes, whether they're on ethics or whether they're on leadership or whether they're on teaching and learning or whatever else. Because that quest, I think, is just fun. It's exciting. And the worst thing in the world would be to bore people. Like, if if you're in a class and somehow people are bored, what has gone wrong here? It's not that I'm trying to tell jokes or, you know, juggle or, or do something. Can you juggle? I, I, I can't juggle. <laughs> 
It would be rather amusing to watch me try, probably, but it's more the fun of the adventure of learning together, right? And it's together is part of it because we're relational beings, and it's a quest for something that's beyond us that, that we're all intrigued by, that we all want, whether that's to know more about what teaching and learning is or more, more what God wants us to do in the world or more of what leadership is or more of what this or that is. The topic, in a sense, doesn't matter. It's the quest to go deeper with it, engage it, and, and sort of get to the marrow of it that I think is the fun. There's real fun in that, the way that God has wired us, and I enjoy doing that with people. Yeah, I think um, um, my, my experience as a, as a teacher has been um, as an ESL teacher for, for uh, a number of years and also got involved with theological education. And uh, during my time as an, as an ESL teacher, there's, depending on where you teach, there's... Uh, there's restrictions on what you can do, so to speak, Christianly in the classroom. Um, but one thing you can always do is get involved with your students and uh, enjoy them and, uh, and love them and get involved with them. And in my context, in, in, in terms of Brazilian culture, this is very easy to happen. You can, especially if you're teaching uh, not uh, like young kids, but like teens or young adults, you can easily become friends with them and you can do stuff outside of class with them mm -hmm. and then when you start having this kind of freedom then you can m even more easily uh, share your life and and uh, and and hear their life and and develop that and see exactly what what's going on in their hearts and, and minister to them mm -hmm. so uh, if you know the more uh, the students will learn better also if if they realize that you are you are doing what you can for them in terms of their learning and their growth and you're not out to get them or you know mm. you're not out there to make them flunk the test or whatever you know right. you're trying to help them and if and yeah. if they if they see you enjoy them they they will enjoy the class more and they'll and they'll learn better that's back to the relational dimension yeah. of all of this right and and I would say too in terms of how to how to put this into practice Claire one of the things that's a great regent tradition that I benefited from so much back when I was a student at regent way back when that we're still doing now, and I still still do this all the time with my students, is just hospitality. Mm -hmm. It's getting to know students outside of class. It's, it's all of us as faculty at Regent. We have got groups of students all the time coming in and out of our homes, and, and my wife and I just love doing that. But it changes the dynamic. In a sense, it's, there's more to it than just a nice time. And I think, I think it communicates to, to the student, well, these people care about me. They're interested in me. There's a relationship here that goes beyond the formality of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So some way to break down the kind of assumptions that people bring to a classroom once you get into rows, that it has to be a certain kind of relationship, um, for me, is important to do. That I do value content and some discipline and high standards. I do all of those things. But what Raphael was saying was so important because if people know that you're for them, you're there to help them. We care about them. That's why it's so difficult to get through this material. That's why you're really pressing them to be their best. That's why the standards are high. It's not because you're there to torture them, but it's for their good, right? So that, that expressed outside the classroom in a relational way with hospitality or bowls of soup or whatever else it might be is, is just, it's very changes. Every time I have students over, I try to do it early in the semester, it changes the way the class goes. If the first three weeks you're just in rows and people don't know each other, and then if they come over for dinner, then the next class is different mm -hmm. because they've had a good time because, you know, the soup wasn't cooked or 
the dessert wasn't any good or, or it was great. And therefore you have stories and you have a shared experience. And so it just changes the whole dynamic. And so it's not a kind of technique. It's just genuine concern for people and love for them and hospitality. And it opens up people's minds. We're whole people. And, and part of the adventure of learning that I'm talking about, it has to open up from, in a sense, from within. It can't be forced from without. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of being open and, and open-mindedness. You're going to learn if you have an open mind. What's going to open your mind is being trusted. It's being taken seriously. It's being honored. Mm-hmm. It's made, being made to feel like you've, you matter, like, and you have something to offer. Like, that opens up space for people to actually think new thoughts or be challenged if they're treated like that, which is just a way of honoring them, which goes back to our biblical vision of the value of a person mm-hmm. made in God's image. Uh, all of that fits together for me. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I am... Um so I used to be an early childhood teacher, so I used to spend my days with three, four, and five-year-olds. And, <laughs> and now you're dean of students at Regent College. And, <laughs> well, that's so... right. and there's the similarities between yes. um, kind of three and four-year-olds and yeah. adult education is remarkably yeah. kind of close. We could use nap time around here. so <laughs> that would do, be good. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of the advocating yeah. for the nap. But it's, yeah. this, it's funny, in an, in an early childhood context, the whole, the whole person or the whole kid yeah is taken into consideration. So if they're learning to tie their shoelaces, that's just as important as them understanding that two comes after one. And that whole kind of all that whole person formation is what happens when you're little. And then somehow it kind of gets warped. And then it's sort of like we're trying to then recover again in Mm -hmm. kind of in adult education to say, no, no, your whole person matters. And I think that's what I've seen here at Regent. This that at early in early childhood you see care and education going hand in hand. So, yeah. yeah, kind of in that kind of preschool age. And then I see that in education at Regent. Hmm. If, if, if there's not a care for a person and there's not an understanding of who they are and all of those kinds of things, actually what God's brought them here to learn will be very difficult for them to learn because those two things mm-hmm. kind of go hand in hand. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the ways yeah. that those uh, things kind of circle around uh, again. Yeah. I said to some of my colleagues not here at... at uh, at Regent, but before I came to Regent, my colleagues in another institution, I think I shocked them because I said that uh, graduate school should be more like kindergarten. Mm. And they thought, like, oh, this guy has completely lost it. What is wrong with him? Can we please get him out of here? Um, but what I mean, of course, is, is not that the content of graduate school looks like the content of kindergarten at all, but in a sense, the process and the way that people are treated and the whole person formation. And I remember my little blue blanket from kindergarten that we had our naps on. Mm. Um, And the point even about naps that we're joking about is significant because graduate school doesn't take seriously really an embodied person. And a body is there just to be driven as hard as we can possibly drive it. Well, you don't think that about kindergarten. Mm. Like, why do we think that about adults? Huh? I don't know. And the kindergarten is about a whole person experience of a community. Mm -hmm. And it's about learning these things Howard Gardner cares about, like respectful relationships, Mm -hmm. social skills, you know? Well, some of that is also important to talk about at graduate school Mm -hmm. because the church needs a way of being in the world as God's people where our social skills, if you want to call it that, our ways of being civil, our ways of engaging topics, our ways of disagreeing, agreeably and reasonably all matter that matters to the church's witness so that's what i'm driving at by saying it's more like kindergarten really it's that sort of skill development relationality content yes 
We're not teaching people how to tie their shoes in graduate school, but we're teaching them for the very first time to do things they've never done before, Mm -hmm. like parse a Greek verb, which is just as foreign as learning to tie your shoes when you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of new learning that's stressful, and partly the, the, the ECE or kindergarten analogy is I think teachers in that context know that this is a stressful experience. We're going to accompany you, and we're going to take you seriously as an embodied learner, as a person Mm -hmm. with emotions, as a person with ideas, as a person with relationships, as a person with a family. I just think that's a more holistic view of what education is Mm -hmm. and therefore how teaching and learning works. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing is what I mean, rather than just Mm -hmm. um, uh, a kind of um, craziness maybe I'm accused of from time to time. (laughs) Yeah, that uh, it's interesting. This this just remind me uh, this this focus on on persons that we're having. Mm. Uh, it just uh, just reminds me that we need to connect. Maybe not connect, but our content and, and and our practice of teaching has to be integrated. Or another way to say it is that our practice is actually part of the content, if if you will, uh, because we we can talk about. Uh, you need to respect uh, your neighbor. But if we as teachers don't practice that respect, they're going to remember our practice and not our content. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the importance of being creative, but if we don't allow our students to ever be creative, they're going to learn the opposite. The opposite thing. So they're, they're, our practice needs to reflect whatever our content is. That's, that's a fantastic point. And you know, uh, a lecture on being creative is not likely to be <laughs> what's going to yeah. unleash the creativity of the students, right? And so I think that that congruence between the vision and the content and the way you do it is super important point. And that's that's a challenge in theological education for sure because we want people not merely to have the right ideas but to become deeper in their faith, deeper disciples, and better witnesses in the world, to be equipped in a, a very holistic way. And again, if, if we care about the whole person the way that our theology says it does, how mm-hmm. does our practice align with caring about that? If we care about community, you can do education in a more communal way or a less communal way. Mm-hmm. You can have a wonderful curriculum about, about community, but actually go about it completely individualistically, mm-hmm. which seems to defeat the whole purpose. Mm-hmm. So I think this point about the congruence there, the alignment there that Raphael's making is a really important, but it's a very challenging point, mm-hmm. too. For all of us at every level, whether that's in the home or whether that's with elementary school or whether that's at graduate school, at every level, that aligning of the content with the method, I think, is a super important point and a big challenge for us. Mm-hmm. We're coming to the end, but I've got a question for you, Raphael. It's, pretty, it's kind of personal. And then, Jeff, the, the, my, how has your theological education, which you could use in any, any sphere of the world, because that's what Regent's hoping that you'll do, how has it formed you or helped you to do that? So how has your theological education, which may mean that you teach theology, but it might mean you might not, it might mean that you teach ESL or it might mean that you do something else completely unrelated. How has your theological education formed whatever it is that you're going to do in the world beyond region? Wow. So, Small uh, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, before coming to Regent, I was... Um, I was already worried about this connection connection of uh, of faith and life, mm. and I was I somehow believed that there was this this connection or that you know that God was 
relevant to other spheres of life than than church. But I didn't really uh, I didn't really know how to go about that very well. So that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, why I came here, and it's one of the reasons why I, I like um, I like Regent's uh, mission statement of the commitment to Jesus Christ, His Church, and His world, and it just gives you this this bigger vision. Um, I think Regent helped me help me to do that in, in many different ways from, from the classes and um, our conversations that, that we have. Uh, one of the things that maybe out of class that was has been very formative for me is there are many Brazilians on campus, as uh, <laughs> people are here are aware, but we meet every month and one of the things we try to do is to discuss what we're learning at Regent, how, how that works or mm. not work uh, back in our home culture. And one of the things, we're, we're returning to Brazil in, in a few months. Uh, and one of the things I want to, is what I want to do is, is to work with, uh, uh, with other teachers back home and help them do this integration um, of faith and life. Just thinking of, of if, if they can do that and then, you know, just thinking of how that can spill over into the life of the, all the students that go through their hands. Um, because in the end, I, th I think the, the character of, of, of the teacher is what will make the most difference mm. um, in a student's life. Mm. Um, so if I can be a small part in that, mm. um, I'm, I'm very thankful mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. So Jeff, as the president of the school, of this institution, uh, and what, what is it that you long for a feel, our, the theological education that people are getting here, what do you long for it to create? You've, you've alluded to it, but if you had to sort of summarise it, what are you hoping a theological education will do for a person in whatever sphere of life they move on to after being at Regent? I, I think the real genius of the vision behind Regent from the founding fathers and mothers up until today has been of a, of a really deep and integrated faith. So I'm hoping our students come and dig deeper into the biblical theological foundations of faith and, and drink very deeply from those wells, but in such a way that they can put together a coherent, cohesive picture of the world and their place in the world in a, in a, in a Christ-centered imagination and then go out on behalf of the gospel into the world and live that out, whether it's in education or whether it's in accounting or whether it's as an architect or in medicine or wherever they find themselves be, wherever that might be, a deep and integrated faith with Christ at the center. And I just think that, that so many people are, are here at Regent on that kind of a quest to see how, as Raphael was saying, that faith is not just for Sunday, it's not just for church things, it's for everything, it's for every realm of life. That is the Regent vision. That's why so many people are still here and I'm just so delighted to wrestle with those kinds of questions and to try to assist along the way. But as people go back out into the world with that deeper, more integrated faith, I think it is, it's very encouraging to us to play a little part in fanning some of those flames so that people can go and do that. Mm -hmm. Jeff and Raphael, thanks for your time. Thanks for a good conversation. Glad to be here. It's been fun. Good. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>